0: Oh, this is going to be a good one. You're listening to Pete the Planner. This week on the Pete the Planner show, we answer your money questions. You can email me, at Pete at petetheplanner.com. That's askpete, all one word, at petetheplanner.com. Hey, everybody. Good week to you. Gonna say good day, but I only really talk to you once a week. So good week to you. Uh, I've heard you. Thank you. And actually, I owe everyone an apology. I owe all my podcast listeners an apology. A mea culpa, if you will. I don't know if that's the right usage. Um, my sound levels off on my are, are a little bit off on my podcast, which means that every time I stop talking and the bumper music comes in, it destroys people's eardrums. So I'm sorry. Apparently, you want your eardrums. Uh, one of our listeners, who is a beekeeper, which is amazing, uh, said he's been listening in earbuds and the, the music's been blasting him straight down the ear hole. And I'm sorry. I'm just trying to keep the bees interested, okay? I just want them to hear the good music. All right, this week on the show, we've got a couple different things. We've got an amazing email to start, one that I've thought a lot about this week. Uh, and then we're going to go back to the basics. We have a new series on the show called Back to the Basics. Uh, and so in that, we will go back... the basics and so much more let's get after it again if you want your question answered by me no strings attached you know every time someone says no strings attached you're looking for the string right there's no string uh hey pete i'm 54 year old oh you are just tuning in i'm playing a role hi pete i'm a 54 year old woman working a full-time job Earning $60,000, my 65-year-old husband works only a minimum wage full-time job, and earns $23,000. These are gross income numbers, and I handle all the finances in the household. Okay, so this is the first paragraph, and I have so much information that my head is spinning. Did you get the same information I got? He said, "What I'm trying to do. This is what I'm going to try to do going forward on the show. I'm going to begin to show you how I break down these questions." I think I've been, we've estimated this a couple years ago, so the numbers have changed. I've dug through at least 25,000 people's financial lives, and so you just, little hints matter a lot. Let's see if I can teach them to you. So far, here's what we know. Um, She's 54 years old. Her husband is 65. Huge age gap. There's going to be a problem. I mean, I've read the whole email, so I know there's a problem, but there's almost always an issue, especially when... uh, This sounds crazy. When the man is older than the woman in a relationship, by that much, you 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 almost can always find a a little financial things. And then the word she uses: uh, "My husband works only a minimum wage full time job." I'm not saying she's not justified in using the term "only," but she used it to try to explain her financial situation to me. This is look. I'm not judging. Just breaking it down for you. Recently, I learned my husband cashed in part of his 401k without consulting me to pay off a portion of his personal credit card debt, which had a 20% APR. There's still over $6,000 on his card to pay off. I've taken control of the card physically, changed his login info on the online account, with his permission, and frozen the card so that it can uh, be paid off and closed permanently. I have my own personal credit card, with no balance and I pay it off monthly. With that background info, and by the way, that's plenty of info. I I, I know everything I need to know. Also know that my husband can start drawing Social Security now if he chooses and get $1,000 per month at his age of 65. He can get $1,500 later monthly if he waits until he is 70 years old. My question is, does it make sense to have him start drawing now to get the credit card debt down and the card close? we do not own a home. We rent, but want to start looking for a small single family home. We have no car payments for our two cars, but they are older cars, and thus replacing those cars and their future is kept in mind. I don't expect you to tell us exactly what to do, but I wonder if you can give us some perspective. Okay. All right, I'm not going to give the person's name. You don't need the person who sent the email knows that it's them. The rest of you don't need to know this person's name. Quit being so nosy. Okay. Here's where I'm at. I'm not convinced, because there's no evidence of it, that the husband's spending habits have changed. Like we are, financially, just a series of our habits and behaviors. That, that's what we are. I am I am bones and flesh um, and, and not much of a brain, but what I really am are my behaviors. You know, it's the old you are what you eat. I'm not convinced this guy has changed the behaviors that have led to, Uh, the credit card debt that caused him to take out his 401k and all of those sorts of different things. Therefore, to do something permanent like claim Social Security and take a permanently lower number, although it solves the problem hypothetically, I mean, you could hypothetically solve the problem he has in six months, it's only solved if his behavior is completely rehabilitated. That's the only way it works. In fact, I would go as far to say that if he's not fixed, (laughs) you know what I mean, um, this gets worse. He will go deeper into debt. His financial problems will get worse because now he has more money to enable whatever behaviors we have. This is true for you. This is true for me. Money magnifies who you are. It just does. Look, there there was a time in my life where... And look, uh, my daughter turned 10 this week. I can't believe it. And my uh, in-laws were very kind, very generous, gave her a check with a nice little amount of money. I mean, mean, we're not talking hundreds of dollars. We're talking like 50 bucks. Okay, everybody relax. $50. $50 to a 10-year-old is like $10,000. The second that she gets this 50 bucks... She's ready to go. She's just like, can we go to Target? I'm like, wow, I don't even know. Let's relax here. Let's go. Can we go somewhere? It's burning money in her pocket. As a financial entity, that money is magnifying her behavior of just impulse. And that's the same when you are an adult and you have financial decisions to make. I'm telling you that an increased amount of income for this person that only, according to his wife, makes a minimum wage will create problems, major problems. And I'm gonna also go to this point, which is making me uncomfortable, I'm not so sure home ownership makes sense until this problem is solved. Other things that concern me about this situation, I would want to make sure that the emergency fund that the couple has is healthy, because where I'm concerned, if the husband went to the 401k to pay off his credit card debt. Did he do that so he didn't have to tell his wife that he had credit card debt? Because otherwise you would just go to your savings, but then you, you would notify your wife that you went into your savings. I'm just concerned there's not enough savings here. And who knows what's in the wife's 401k. You know, this situation can absolutely be saved, but the way to save it is absolutely not to start taking social security right now, unless, and here's a big but, You knew the big butt was gonna be part of it. I don't like to hedge, but this is true. If the husband's health is not great, by all means, take it now. Take the social security now. It's sort of a macabre way to look at things. But look, if your health is not great, you have to get the money you have earned by paying into the system now. Well, let's get down to the nitty gritty. Let's not split hairs here. Let's say the guy's health's real bad. And it's not out of the question he could be uh, in post-retirement dead in his early 70s. Take the money now. But by God, please make sure you pay off the credit card debt and then take the extra $1,000 a month to not retire but to create stability. I will also say someone making a minimum wage who then can get Social Security uh, the chances are the person is not going to want to make minimum wage anymore, and I don't mean get a better job. I mean they're just not going to want to work. Uh, so that's my answer. There you go. If you want to email me, have you step in front of you and your loved one? <laughs> do so. Ask Pete at petetheplanner.com. Okay, we're going to a break. Podcast listeners, I promise I've turned down the music levels. I promise. Radio listeners, well, that's up to the studio. So I'm Pete the Planner, and this is my show. back on the Pete the Planner show. I'm Pete the Planner. How's it going? All right. New series on the show. You know, if you've listened to the show for a long time, here's here's how this works. You know, I announce a new series and it's the first time that it airs and then I forget and then it never, it never happens again. But I feel like this one could stick around, right? It's like New Year's. I'm the New Year's resolution of radio. Uh, You know what? We're starting a brand new series. It's called Back to the Basics. And then I forget about it a week later and I'm eating cake. Um, All right, so, here we go. Uh, Back to the basics is where we take a very simple concept, and instead of answering a question, I try to think of the questions I get the most, and I I create a set of rules around it, something that you can pass on to generations. You know, in your family, there is family lore, right? There's this, oh, grandpa uh, walked all the way to the cheese factory, and then on the way home, he killed a rabid dog, whatever. There's just these stories in your family that get passed down from generation to generation, and what I want to do is, with Back to the Basics, give you these sorts of financial standards that someday someone asks you a question, about. you know what, I know the answer to that because I listened to one segment on the radio once. And so this week on Back to the Basics, I want to talk about one of my favorite topics, housing affordability. From my perspective, housing affordability. I am not a lender. I am not a realtor. I am a person who doesn't want you to ruin your financial life with a housing decision. As you've heard on this show before, I regret at least two of my housing decisions and, I, and I, in a non-condescending way, right? It's not like, well, I made a mistake, and, but it worked out for me. And you would, no, I wish I hadn't done it. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. I want you to be a homeowner for two reasons. Number one, uh, we're working for, in reverse here. Because I think in retirement, if you own your home outright, and by outright I mean with no mortgage, uh, then your financial life is easier. You need less retirement income uh, to make that work. Second reason I want you to own your home is well, conceivably you've got an asset um, that you can leverage in, in an emergency or strategically, and that is better than, than renting, in my estimation. If you are a candidate to buy a home, which leads us to my point, two minutes in. Okay, here are the three things you need to consider in terms of housing affordability. This is back to the basics, brought to you by, I don't know, this cup of coffee. I'm having some Nespresso coffee this morning. You don't care. Okay, back to the basics. I want your mortgage payment to be close to, how about that for being a stickler, close to, 25 percent of your take-home pay i'll do the math let's say your household income let's say it's you and a significant other double income die uh let's say you've got double income and that is uh five thousand (laughs) dollars five thousand dollars take home pay this is after tax this is after you've contributed to your retirement account through your employer after your money, put, put money into your HSA. If you happen to be a person that wants to tithe, this is after your tithe. I'm not saying tithe. I'm just saying someone's going to, what about tithe? Well, then tithe. It's none of my business. Okay. So you're $5,000. By being at 25%, yes, I am doing math on the radio right now. If you're just tuning in, it's just this guy doing math on the radio. And your kid's in the car, and your kid's going to go, oh, that's why I should pay attention to math guys. No, they're not. All right, it's $5,000 of take-home pay, and that means your mortgage payment should be roughly $1,250. Now, I've got a a, a tremendous number of disclosures and disclaimers here, okay? Ideally, my world, $1,250 is your mortgage payment. Here are the series of buts. First but, a bank will let your mortgage payment be significantly higher than that. Like... Criminally higher than that. Not $1,250, but probably closer to $2,000, easily. Easily. And the rough part about this is, if you're a first-time homeowner and you build a production home or you build a custom, you build a home, there's, there's, there's ground. In Southern Indiana, when someone says they have land, uh, you know, people have land as investment, they say, I got ground. I know this, I've I've lived in Southern Indiana, Uh, I got ground. Okay, so if you've got ground and you build on that ground, then the way the uh, property taxes work, your initial mortgage payments, which sometimes and oftentimes include mortgage uh, property taxes, will increase over the 18 month period as the uh, proper assessment is levied from a tax perspective, meaning your mortgage payment's gonna go up, okay? So that's why I don't want you at 40% of your take-home pay going towards your mortgage. I want, so you can get on with the rest of your life, I want about 25%. Am I uh, different? Am I contrarian when it comes to this? I absolutely am. But here's the issue. Housing prices continue to rise, and the way you refuse to become party to that is that you buy something that doesn't ruin your life and, and make you grow into the mortgage. I think one of the most dangerous things you can do is assume your income will allow you to grow into the payment you can't presently afford. That is true for housing. That's true for car ownership. It's true for everything. But housing is this tricky thing where we convince ourselves that Well, it's where I raised my family. You you elicit all these feelings and emotions to justify things that just don't make sense. And by the way, most of the people in the housing industry, oh man, this is going to get some emails, want to help you buy into that ridiculousness of, oh, is your family yes, by the nature of how life works, your family will live with you most of the time but that doesn't, shouldn't justify a bad housing decision. So be at 25%. Here's some more butts to that. If you're gonna get a 15 year mortgage, I have absolutely no problem with it being more than 25%. If you are barely squeezing in to a 30 year mortgage, you can barely, barely, barely afford it. your Credits are not good. You don't have you know, much going on. Don't go much above 25%, despite the fact that I know you're going to, it's not gonna work out well for you. Now, here's the other factor. Uh, people like to talk, uh, and this is maybe a different back to the basic segment between a 30-year and a 15-year mortgage. If you're going to do a 30-year mortgage because you want the flexibility of a lower payment, fine, but whatever that gap is between what the proposed 30-year mortgage is and the 15-year mortgage, do something good with it. A lot of times people are like, oh, I like the 30-year mortgage because I'm more flexible and I could do something with it with the leftover. Okay, great. What are you going to do? I'm going on vacation. Well, no, that's a bad decision actually. So 25% is rule number one. 25% of take-home pay Going towards mortgage payment. And by the way, <clears throat> from a housing perspective, the same can be said for rent. Keep you around 25%. And, and look, my show comes from the Midwest. I'm in central Indiana, broadcast all over Indiana. And of course, thanks to the internet, I broadcast on pod, my podcast. And then uh, during the commercial breaks, blow people's eardrums out with my bad music levels. Um, In the Midwest, you can get away with 25% and not live a ridiculously modest lifestyle. On the coast, you are currently turning off this podcast to listen to the Ron Burgundy podcast, which I have to say is my guilty pleasure. My guilty pleasure is the Ron Burgundy podcast. I was listening to this week's episode. I was laughing out loud in my car. I look like a crazy person at the stoplight. All right, we have a minute left in the segment. It has occurred to me that back to the basics doesn't necessarily mean, uh, necessarily mean back to brevity. I'm, I'm long-winded today. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to blow out the third segment. The third segment is going to be the continuation of back to the basics. I don't know why I think I could deal with the entire topic, the basics of home ownership, home ownership affordability in nine minutes and 23 seconds, but apparently I thought I could. Turns out I can't. you got to know your limits. Coming up after the break, we're going to do the second Back to Basics segment. You guys, I did it. I have a series in which there are more than one, segments, uh, more than one segment in the series. Sure, it's because I blew it, and I didn't wrap it up in the first segment, but we're, we're doing it, guys. We're doing it. If you want to email me, askpete at petetheplanner.com. Coming up, here's what we're going to do. We've already talked about how I want 25% of your income going towards housing. But what are the other two factors of determining whether or not you can afford your house? All that is next, I'm Pete the Planner. We're back on the Pete the Planner show. Hopefully during the the podcast break right now, I've lowered the sound levels and I'm not destroying your eardrums. I listened to feedback. And I don't mean that. That's not a sound joke, but it could be. I love when you guys email me, askPete at PeteThePlanner.com. Just talk about the show. You don't have to ask me a question. Just, uh, I guess, should be comment Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. And I love Twitter too. So feel free to hit me up on Twitter, at PeteThePlanner. I do want to draw your attention this week to my first column in the Indianapolis Business Journal, the IBJ. Go to IBJ.com and you can read it. Uh, So for those that wondering, I have a new column in the Indianapolis uh, Business Journal, and the point of that column is a little different from my normal USA Today column. We're going a little, little bit higher. Uh, <laughs> I was about to say higher content, but then I realized just trying to describe to you how the content's a little bit more advanced. And I'm a writer; I used a terrible series of words that didn't make sense. Anyway, it's just it's 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 for people that make more money. And for people that have more money. I am dedicated to helping people of every income level. But this publication, Indianapolis Business Journal, my content that is in there, my piece, my column that is in there, is really meant for people who uh, make plenty of money. Just plain and simple. That publication is not, uh, what when I write for it, is not meant for showing you how to be frugal. So anyway, whatever. All right, back to the basics. Segment two, uh, home Ownership, affordability, what do you need to know in the first segment of this brand new series, Back to the Basics, we tackled how I want 25% of your take-home pay going towards your mortgage payment. Now, if you want to do the power move, I knew this guy once that uh, uh, insisted that your mortgage payment should be below 20% of your take-home pay. Now, he lived in a very modest house, uh, and he did not view his home as a major lifestyle decision because his major lifestyle decision was he loved to travel. Do you know how often I hear people say, oh, I just love to travel. What are you into, Kylie? I love to travel. And people just say all the time, I love to travel. And yet they do not live a structured financial life that allows them to lean in to what they love, which is travel. And that sort of drives me bonkers. What are you into? Travel. I live, uh, 47% of my income goes towards housing. (laughs) You don't like traveling. You like sitting in your expensive house. I think people lie to themselves a lot, but they don't know they're lying to themselves. I think that's ignorance, isn't it? I I think I've just had a, I just created a better dictionary definition of the word ignorance. When you're lying to yourself, but you don't know it. Yeah, it's ignorance. All right, next marker here, Uh, home affordability. I think if you cannot put down 10% of the value of your home uh, as a down payment, you cannot afford it. Yeah, I said it. Okay, now here's the thing. I'm not suggesting that you only put down 10%. I'm suggesting that if you can't raise 10% of the value of the home in capital in the you know the process of becoming a homeowner, then this game ain't for you. This game is not for you. It is expensive to be a homeowner and you must display a propensity to save money. You must. Like I love complaining about home ownership with my next-door neighbor because we're the same age, we have similar careers, we have the same value of home, and we just sit there and complain about all the stuff breaking on our house. He's like, oh, well, it's first-world problems. You've got a shelter. It is a first-world problem. I'm not being insensitive or apathetic or, 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 or lacking empathy, I should say, But I do have first world problems. I don't live in the third world. That means, I'm not saying I don't care about the third world, but all my problems are first world problems. Oh, absolutely. They absolutely, I love to complain about home ownership. If you don't have 10% of the value of your home to put down and a proper emergency fund beyond that, I'm telling you, you're going to compromise your financial life. The second you move into a new place, especially if it's brand spanking new, You need blinds, you need furniture, you got to fill up all these rooms. You know, in central Indiana, there is this uh, suburb called Geist, right? Geist Reservoir. And Geist, in the early 2000s, was infamous for these giant homes. I mean, just giant homes. I remember this is when I was a financial advisor, and uh, I was at the stage of my career, there were most of... My days were spent doing paperwork and most of my nights were spent at people's houses beginning to prepare financial plans for them because that's just where I was in my career. I had to come to them on their terms, on their hours. Now, if you want to meet with me, A, you can't, and B, uh, it would be at noon. And actually, it wouldn't be at noon because I need to eat. I'd be finishing food. i start eating at 11. Anyway, let's move on. You'd go to people's houses and guys, and they'd be these giant, beautiful homes with no furniture because they couldn't afford to furnish their homes. It's really common. That's why having a strong cash position, a strong cash position going into being a homeowner is vitally, vitally important. So I want you to have at least 10% down. Now, do you put 10% down? Yeah, I think you should, and I think you should get a creative loan program that allows you to not pay private mortgage insurance, Private mortgage insurance is a premium you have to pay when you own less than 20% of your home. You have less than 20% equity of your home. Uh, You can't borrow more than 80% of the value of your home generally without having PMI or having to pay PMI. But there's some certain loans that get around that rule. I remember the first house uh, Mrs. Planner and I bought, we did what was called an (laughs) 80-10-10. I always imagine it was like a Southern woman who was my mortgage broker it wasn't. It was a middle-aged guy from, from Chicago. But uh, I like to imagine it was a, a southern mortgage broker. And she's like, can I get y'all an 80-10-10? That's not what happened. And like, literally, no one involved sounded like that woman in my mind. Can I get you an 80-10-10? And that, what it was is you'd borrow 80% of the value of your home. You would borrow another 10% of the value of your home in a second mortgage. And then you put down 10%. That's what, that's what we did. Uh, Anyway, so ten percent of value in your home. Okay, I'm running out of time. We're getting long-winded today. It's the coffee. It's always the coffee. Five percent, or pardon me, the next number we need to deal with is five years. So if you're if you're if you're still with us, I want to make sure that your mortgage payment is around twenty-five percent of your take-home pay. If you want to disagree with this and you've just tuned in, go to the podcast and listen to the context. Next, ten percent of the value of the home I would like you to have available for a down payment. You can, you know, if all you have is 3% for a down payment, you have no emergency savings. That's a rough go, man. It is not going to be fun. And then finally, I want to make sure that you can commit to being where you want to live for five years. Because what will happen is if you were like, Oh, we want to own a home. We want to own a home. I don't know how long we're going to live in this city. Probably only two years. Don't buy a home rent. You cannot risk a fluctuation in the housing market and um, the whole rigmarole of a 30-year mortgage and uh, so much of it going towards interest payments. Just rent. Do not move into a place unless you know for near certain you're going to live there for five years. Uh, We don't know if my first job out of school, uh, might move out of town, but I'm going to just buy this place. Don't buy this place. I used to manage money for professional athletes. Did I ever tell you this? I feel like I have. Who cares? It's, it's interesting to talk about. Maybe it's not. But I just remember I was always very hesitant about my players buying homes. It just rarely made sense. And the tough part was back when I was in the business of doing this, there were certain uh, home builders that, of course, are the, you know, the preferred home builder of whatever you're hometown team was. And so they try to get all these players in their homes and give them special deals. Well, the the, you know, the light the career, I'm trying to think of the the career of a professional athlete is short. Right? So they'd be out of town three years later and they'd be upside down underwater on these houses and it would be a financial disaster. Anyway, so there it is. Twenty five percent of take home pay is where I want your mortgage payment. I'd like you to have at least ten percent to put down on the home to Uh, display your ability to save money. And finally, I'd like you to be in that home or be able to commit to the area for five years so you don't get hung out to dry if your life changes. Coming up after the break, the biggest waste of money of the week and current events. I'm Pete the Planner. This week's biggest waste of money of the week here on the Pete the Planner show is, well, scalpel steak knives. Doctors use scalpels for their precision. You can use these scalpel steak knives for the same reason or just because they look amazing. Each knife is individually handmade from a solid chunk of Sheffield stainless steel by master knife maker Stuart Mitchell. Oh, that guy's got an accent, right? Hello, I'm Stuart Mitchell, <laughs> I don't know. The, sh- the short, and I mean, I'm not gonna say he has bad teeth. Anyway, the short razor sharp blade recalls the surgical tool while grooves in the handle allow for a solid grip while you cut through your food. Individually numbered, they arrive in sets of two. Okay, so I'm looking, at. Uh, you need to look these up. This is where I get upset that our radio show is not on television yet uh scalpel s-k-a-l-p-e-l s-k like a <laughs> so so like the mu- the music ska ska pill s-k-a-l-p-e-l okay anyway look it up they are beautiful but they cost 285 dollars for a set of two you don't need this several reasons let's begin to list them number one is 285 dollars for two knives number two look i'm i don't need to carve up my steak with precision i you know you can you know you have teeth i'm gonna eat it it's it's gonna get digested with stomach juices <laughs> that's a little gross i'm sorry and plus i i'm gonna be honest i have children that are uh 10 and and almost seven now and they if i don't want these things in the house my kids are maniacs someone would get stabbed or accidentally shivved so anyway that's this week's biggest waste of money of the week people have been submitting them to me here's what happens i say hey if you've got a biggest waste of money of the week send it to me at, on twitter at pete the planner or uh, uh, an on email ask pete at petetheplanner.com and then you do cuz you're good listeners and uh, then guess what happens I forget, and I lose them, and I had to make up my own. I will say this week our our podcast climbed into the top 20-ish of investing podcasts in the world, which was kind of nice, except for the fact that we're not an investing podcast, but I'll take it. Top 20 in the world uh, in a particular category, not too shabby. All right, so financial current events. I'm trying to get my head around this, and I'm actually going to be doing a lot of reading as we go through the story here together because I want to get the details right. And you're thinking, well, you never generally get details right. Maybe you should read more. (laughs) Trump proposes to end student loan forgiveness program. Okay, this is from Forbes magazine, and it goes through some of the realities of President Trump's proposed 2020 budget. So I want to talk about What's involved from a student loan perspective? There's some good. There, there's some good. I don't. I don't say that with surprise. I say that because the headline was written in a provocative way to make you think there's no good going on here, because the headline just says Trump proposes to end student loan forgiveness program. Now there are some people uh, who who hear that headline and they think that's a good thing. They think, well, there shouldn't be one. Okay, great. And then there's another group of people like, well, that's terrible. I mean, it's helped so many people. Also fine. But there's some interesting things here in the budget. In the budget, the proposed 2020 budget, the budget includes a $64 billion uh, earmark for the U.S. Department of Education, which is $7.1 billion less than it was in the 2019 budget. So you know how this works. When you cut spending, some things have got to go. And under the Trump budget proposal, the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program would be eliminated. I was telling you I was going to do a bunch of reading, but I'm going to be honest, I've not read any of this. I I just know it. So the Public Student Loan Forgiveness Program, it's a federal program. And it was created by George W. Bush, so that is Bush number two. They don't call him Bush number two, they call him George W. Bush. And it forgives federal student loans for borrowers who are employed full-time, which is more than 30 hours per week, uh, in an eligible federal, state, or local public service job, or a 501c3 nonprofit. And they make 120 eligible on-time payments over a 10-year period. There's a lot to unpack there. Basically, if you if you serve the public, uh, <laughs> and i don't mean like a radio host i mean like a real contributor uh, to your state or local government or a teacher or something like that and you make 10 years worth of on-time payments then the remainder the balance of your loans could be forgiven if you if you you know uh, qualify for the rest of the qualifications that's right i said qualify for qualifications anyway last year we did a story about this here on the show and we learned that a very few number i mean a ridiculously low number tens of people qualified out of tens of thousands of people in the first year of um, this being available and so uh, there's a lot of confusion around public service loan forgiveness i would prefer it not go away but at the same time um So few people are getting this benefit, you wonder if it has a future. I would rather it not go away, so I'm going to go wash on that one. But this gets interesting. Uh, There's also a change in federal student loan repayment. Uh, And here's the proposal. Monthly student loan payments would be capped at 12.5% of income. And after 15 years of monthly payment, any remaining student loan debt would be forgiven. That would be the proposal under Trump's repayment plan. I kind of like that. I kind of like that. And there's actually a grad school provision too. Monthly student loan payments would be capped at 12.5% of income. After 30 years of monthly payments, any remaining student loan debt would be forgiven. Okay, so that's not as great. But the point is for someone to structure their student loans to have them paid off. And then it still goes back to the idea that, that gets you know swept under the rug consistently. And I'm going to catch grief for this. There are a lot of people who take on student loan debt blindly with no plan on how they're going to pay it off. And it's not, this is not a positive thing. Like they're betting on themselves. Eh. I I don't think so. I mean, I think some people are betting on themselves and they say, well, I'll figure it out later and I'll pull myself up by the bootstraps and make these payments. But Having been exposed to this space before, here's what I see. Someone told me to go to college. I don't really want to be here. Uh, I'm not really going to try, and now I've got all the student loan debt. Don't do, don't go to college. Just don't do it. Yeah, I, I, didn't really want to talk about the student loan scandal, the bribery scandal with celebrities and CEOs and VC, you know, hedge fund managers and all those other things. I did not want to talk about this week, but the one takeaway that I will talk about here on the show is that one of the young ladies involved, there's videos of her on the internet saying she doesn't, didn't want to go to college and that she's not going to class and she's going to continue being a YouTube and Instagram personality, uh, yet her parents paid a half million dollars, do I have to say allegedly? I don't know how this works. So she could go to USC and go to school. She should have never gone to school because she didn't want to be there. If you're taking on student loans and you don't want to be there, you don't know what's going on but your guidance counselor told you to go to school or some commercial told you, don't go to school. Now that puts a lot of pressure on figuring out what you want to do, but don't go into tens of thousands of dollars of debt with absolutely no plan on to pay it off. I know this is a tired argument that I'm making here and I am oversimplifying it, but that's what you can expect from the show. Oversimplification, that's what we do. But I, I just, I struggle to understand how we take a 17-year-old, in most cases, and ask them to make an isolated decision that once you pull back the lens is not in isolation, it affects the next two decades of their life. Easy. I just struggle with that. God, this got dark. Dark and everything was going so well. Anyway, there's other things in the budget. His budget proposal for the Department of Education, there's some good, there's some bad, of course, because of the 24-hour news cycle, it's going to get beaten up and then lost cuz that's how things work. We're out of time this week. Thanks for listening. I'm sending you good vibes because good vibes are all that's in my budget. I'm Pete the Planner. This is my show. <laughs>